Over the next few centuries, humanity will be tested. It will either act decisively to protect itself and its long-term potential, or, in all likelihood, this will be lost forever. The precipice gives our time immense meaning. This time, our time will be remembered for the highest levels of risk and for humanity opening its eyes, coming into its maturity and guaranteeing its long and flourishing future. I am not glorifying our generation. The point is that our actions have uniquely high stakes. End of quotation. <laughs> uh, Sophia just quoted two paragraphs of Toby Ward's book, The Precipice. Yeah, uh, we both read this book this summer, actually. And I guess this one was your suggestion. Really, yeah, right? th this one was my suggestion. But we yeah. both decided that this quotation was really good to start off the episode of the podcast with. Although mm -hmm. the author of the book studies uh, a lot of risks that might affect the future potential of humanity in the book, we chose to focus in this episode in particular in the risk created by climate change and along that the strategies and policies they are taken to address it, especially the European Union's new Green Deal. Yes, of course, we couldn't miss the opportunity to discuss climate and the Green Deal in our podcast. So I guess it's no news that, of course, climate crisis is becoming increasingly concerning. Mm -hmm. And this Green Deal is one of the current EU Commission's proposals. And it's a highly debated one. And as part of the Green Deal, basically, the EU Commission has proposed a 55% emissions reduction target by 2030, compared to the situation back in 1990. And also, it aims to be climate, um, climate, yeah. climate neutral by yeah. 2050, exactly. Yeah, the European Green Deal is a strategy that details how the European Union can increase its efficiency in the utilization of resources by transitioning into a more clean and circular economy. Uh, the goals are not only to stop climate change, but also to revert biodiversity loss and cut pollution. And this path outlines the investments needed and the financing tools available, which cover a diverse range of sectors in the economy, for example, transport, energy, agriculture, buildings yeah. and many others. Yeah, it's quite an ambitious plan, I have to say. <laughs> yes, and it also explains how to ensure a just an inclusive, inclusive transition, uh, even yeah. more since one of the characteristics of the, this phenomenon of climate change is the high inequality that reinforces. Yeah, and I guess we can consider the European Green Deal as one of the top political priorities of this time. And um, even though we, we are facing a new scenario of pandemic, right? And that actually leads us to the question, why is it even more important now to make this step in renewing our energy sources, given that we are also fighting a, a pandemic? And actually, the European economic response to COVID-19 turns out to be a unique opportunity to accelerate the energy transition, curiously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's ambitious enough to solve one issue, but while addressing another one, even yeah, more. exactly. Because so the plan is to address the general economic crisis, but reaping the gains from accelerating this shift that we are talking about to a clean and a sustainable economy. 
That's why member states' re recovery and resilience plans are to be set with some conditionalities, like the type of investments countries may do in their industries. They have to be energy efficient ones and as the least polluting as possible, of course. Yeah, that's also why the EU has joined the United Nations proposal of positive actions to recover from COVID in a green way. Yeah. Uh, it was actually mentioned by Secretary General Antonio Guterres that uh, the pandemic can lead to restoring the course of the world if the recovery plans focus on environmental sustainability too. And yeah. for those countries and the group of countries that have uh, included um, this idea and these goals in their recovery package, they focus in actions such as investing in green jobs, don't bailing out polluting industries, especially mm -hmm. the industry of coal, and to end fossil fuels subsidies, putting yeah. a price on carbon. Yeah, but have you thought that like such a tremendous uh, business, but also societal change can only happen if they have the support from the population and you can only get the support from the population if people feel part of it. Also, people usually associate these changes with burdens and costs and with no visible benefits. And that's why we have seen on social media so many discourses about the Green Deal with this tone of, urgency from policymakers. Mm, mm. Uh, but in the same way that it's not easy to show the general public the benefits of focusing on green policies, it is also not easy to get a consensus among all the member states, sure. like, <laughs> like it happens in many other issues, actually. With the pandemic, reaching a consensus on the recovery plan and the next year's budget for the EU was also important, but obviously very difficult. But in the end, the money should be invested where it will be profitable, not only now, but also in the future. A sustainable transformation is needed. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I heard uh, somewhere, I guess it was on uh, another podcast, someone said that at the point of the situation we are now, so this precipice, so to say, um, mm -hmm. that it would be needed like a warlike mobilization to really recover our world. And I guess it's, this is the type of discourse that is quite pessimistic. And to be honest, I kind of believe in the Green Deal plan. I mean, it's quite ambitious, I know, but it's achievable in its standards, given the urgency of the problem. And it's ambitious enough, given the economic constraints that the pandemic has brought with it. I think so too, although I'm a little bit reluctant in hearing the news that have come in the past few days. You have read about the reforms in agriculture that are oh, yeah. passing in the parliament. That's a whole nother topic that we could go, but yeah, we have to wait and see it more, I'm afraid. Yeah, we have to see the development of all these policies. But I guess like from the proposal, what we can see is that it faced some resistance at first. Mm. And the Green Deal, also when it started being discussed, it was, some member states thought of delaying it because of they thought that the COVID crisis was more emergent. And so they needed to postpone the Green Deal discussion until after the pandemic situation was oh. solved. 
Well, but we don't know when that will be. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. And that's why it's negotiation had to keep going. And from my what I read, at least member states have reached a sort of a place of more consensus now, fortunate, right. fortunately. And countries and companies, they cannot wait to any longer to know where to place the EU coming investments. You mean this EU funding comes in a great time to reform our energy use? Yeah, because the truth is, if you give countries money to reform some industry and that money is placed on environmentally unsustainable investments, then later on when COVID disappears, the economy starts picking up more rapidly and countries are a bit lifted out of the crisis, then no one will want to make new investment efforts in other renewable sectors because the money was already spent. So it's better that the investment is made right now and on new and better and less polluting equipment and infrastructure. That's the, the point of the Green Deal, basically. Yeah, totally. When the Green Deal was proposed uh, and to achieve the climate and energy target, targets that is it estimated, it was mm -hmm. necessary an additional 260 billion uh, euros yeah. of annual investment. Now, the additional money package that are being provided to recover the economy from the pandemic will also be used in line with those targets because exactly. there's no point in not using it in also contributing to the transition of the economy to a greener one. Exactly. So, I, I mean, in this green plan, it is many times referred that its aim is also to upgrade further the use modern and competitive economy. This is also a very relevant point. But the thing is that competition encompasses also paying attention to different member states' characteristics. So you mean there are comparative advantages? Exactly. And in this case, I guess we can call them that, yeah, comparative advantages. And so a, a more ambitious climate target is likely to be more challenging for states with a higher share of fossil fuels dependency in their energy mix and countries that pollute a lot given their production methods or intensity. Do you have any idea of a country to which that SAP is a bit larger? Yeah, I, I was about to refer Poland, actually, because mm. its economy is heavy reliant on coal. And uh, I mean, Poland is one of the countries that has been asking for more time to make this transition possible. But it's not just the case of Poland. There are certain carbon intensive sectors and regions with a significant share of their economies, depending on this. And all those will see a substantial transformations. So the distributional aspects, I mean, will need to be addressed in order to ensure that nobody's left behind, besides the fact that they ultimately have to achieve this goal and the, the new program actually underlines these differences. Mm, yes, it does. So obviously, all these transitions are not only required at the EU level, but worldwide and internationally, we can see many different approaches to the same issue. And I bet, Bruno, you know, already know where I'm going with this because I'm curious to know your opinion about um, China <laughs> because I read somewhere that coal is its primary energy uh, resource besides the fact that China is making huge investments on modifying its approach towards energy 
and investing in renewable energy quite a lot. Uh, by the way, I'm always, uh, for the listeners, directing these China questions to Bruna because <laughs> she studies, she's taking her master's in China, so she's more <laughs> literate on its matters than I am. <laughs> I, I'm going to say this again. I'm only marginally more <laughs> so complex that I, I, I also only know a little bit more. But yeah, first of all, this is obviously a very complex matter, uh, like many, um, in regards to China. And China has huge challenges on this front, actually, because it's a carbon-heavy fueled country. And yeah. um, this account, uh, coal accounts for about 58% of China's totally energy con consumption. Yeah, I had that idea that it was around 60%. That's, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, be because of its reliance on coal and obviously the size of its country and economy, China is the world's largest producer of CO2. Yeah. And for that reason, a complete inversion of its reality is needed, not only for the sake of its sustainable development, but also so China can meet all the commitments that it has made in terms of energy targets. Yeah, Actually, President Xi Jinping just made an official commitment um, when he did the speech at the UN General Assembly, uh, that mm -hmm. China would achieve net neutrality in CO2 before 2060. And but um, I, I don't know uh, where did you uh, check that, but do you have like an idea of how that was translated in terms of the environment? Like where already did they inform precisely? Because it's such a huge huge change like what's the impact that they measure that will have yeah later after that i read an article also in science mag saying that if china actually achieves this commitment it is possible to limit global warming below the two degrees instead of the three degrees estimated oh uh, but although there aren't details on how China aims to achieve this goal, because also the the announcement made by President Xi Jinping was very recent. But oh, yeah. a research from Tsinghua University presented a 30-year roadmap that calls for ending the use of coal for electricity generation around mm -hmm. 2050. So uh, already the universities are starting to pick up on this goal and making strategies and plans to mm -hmm. put the technologies into use. Yeah, and I guess uh, we, we can consider that the efforts have been worldwide, besides in different magnitudes. Um, uh, let's just for ignore for a second the fact that the US left <laughs> the Paris Agreement, but um, in fact, um, safeguarding a sustainable world is a public good, and uh, it is actually an intergenerational public goods and uh, these intergovernmental institutions play a key role at it and that's what we want to expect from the outcome of this green new deal definitely and basically wrapping up we are just yeah. expecting to see how the world beyond this precipice will look like hopefully mm -hmm. both our understanding and the technologies that we already have are utilized in a more effective manner. But for that, we need to have policies in place that actually force us to transition to a more sustainable and green economy. 
Exactly, and I can't help but um, think when we discuss this new transition that, I mean, in the past three centuries, we had three industrial revolutions that basically changed the way we live every day. So I guess this is kind of becoming a fourth one. And um, I'm very expectant to see what we can expect in terms of results from it. Um, thank you for joining us, listeners. And if you want the next, I thought about it. I thought about it.